I want to invite somebody up tonight for uh, our testimony time, Joan Wasson. And as she's walking up, and many, some of you already know Joan. Um, Joan came to me the other day and was saying that um, they have a real need in um, this area, in the city of Orange, for release time education workers. And I said, Joan, you got to come share on Sunday night about the need so people know and uh, can respond if possible or at least start praying. And so she's going to share about this, but I want to also encourage you, when we have the cookie time, there's a map about release time, and then we have a trailer. How many of you guys saw the trailer outside in the parking lot? That'll be open, and it's a release time classroom. You can come check it out. So I'm going to give the time over to you. Thank you, Dave. Anyway, I wanted, before I talk a little bit about release time, I did want to say how incredible, I'm going to try to do this without crying, but how great it is to be with my brothers and sisters. Some of you I have known for so long, and we've done so much work through this church and out in the community together. I knew this guy, Pastor Dave, when he was, what, 18, 19, and he just started our youth group. And um, so I've watched him mature and sometimes not mature and, <laughs> and all the growth he has gone through. And he's been a great blessing to me. I've been out on the mission field with some of you. I've watched Holly and Gerardo um, that watch that relationship blossom out there. And, and um, we've been down in Mexico together. We've, been, we've sat in rooms together and, and taught and learned and this is an incredible church, but more so just the bond that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ is just such a blessing and something we can never take for granted. And, um, and for those of you that don't know me, see me for the first time, I just thought I would let you know that we are still brothers and sisters in Christ, and you may have seen me. I am on the newsletter each and every week in the continuing prayer section. And you'll see a little, Joan Wasson, total healing. And it's like, okay. And it's like, Lord, whatever that is, I'm, I know you know the request. I know you know what she needs, and go ahead and do that. And I thought I would share with you what God has done. Why those two words are in that newsletter each and every week. Through the faithful prayers of the saints, I've been sustained. Because in 2012, I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. And stage four, which is really scary to everyone, and it was scary to me too. But what that means is it hasn't stayed put. It has gone to your lymph nodes. It has gone to organs. And it had already gone to my liver, my lung, my spine. And so we went through a whole year of chemo and surgery and radiation and, um, and came out with a clean scan, or at least a everything's behaving now scan. And um, scary time, but at the same time, a great, great, incredible blessing because I saw a faithful God. I saw a good God. I saw a God that will sustain you through that, sustain you through all the ugliness that that big C does to you. And he was faithful to do that. And people pull alongside you to also encourage you and sustain you too. So there's incredible blessings that I would never have experienced without that. I also saw a God that put in a place and prepared me for that moment. And you know, it, it, you can get so wrapped up in your current situation that you might be um, blasted with at any point in your life. But if you pause and take a look, truly, truly take a look at what led you to that point, you see God's hand all over it. And if you do take the time to really pursue listening to God, and hearing his voice, you start to see how he might be preparing you for something. And I, I heard that, heard that a year before the diagnosis. And I was thinking, okay, he has something for me. He has something for me. I just know I need to set time aside. He has something for me. And of course, what does my mind go to? My mind goes to something, something in a faraway land, something fun, something amazing, something not cancer. But you know what? If God has allowed it, it's for a reason. And if God has allowed it, he will be with you through it. His word guarantees that. And if you look through your life and you see that, you know that he is faithful to carry you through that. So anyway, so I had a great scan a year later after going through all that. 
And for a whole year, we had great things happening. And then we had another scan about a year ago, just a little over a year ago, another scan came back and they said the two words you hate to hear, it's back, it's back. And this time it's in different places. And so we go through more, more chemotherapy. And, um, and this week, in fact, um, on Wednesday, I'm having my third treatment. So I'll be halfway done with the fourth round of chemotherapy and all the ugliness that it does to you. But you know, through that, he will still sustain me. Your prayers still um, strengthen me to go through all of that. And what I've also learned is that God doesn't always do a work in you. He also always does a work through you. So as you're learning, as you're um, ministering, whatever it is that God has put in your life, it's to build you up to get you to be a more mature Christ follower, but it's also so that you will be able to use those gifts that he's developing for something. So even in the midst of something as like cancer that you have to go through and deal with, all of that, I knew I had something that this was gonna do. And believe me, I didn't wanna do runs, I didn't wanna do fundraisers, I didn't wanna be the next spokesman for cancer. And, um, and through it all, I realized I, he did give me another passion and that was teaching. And if I manage it properly, perhaps my days, my good days, the days that I have strength, that is what it's for. And so that's the other thing I wanted to share with you because you know, we, you know, I was able to see that God is a faithful God. I was able to have a great gift in knowing my faith is real. Because until you're challenged with something like that, you don't really know. You can raise your hands and praise. You can sing the words that we've been singing about carrying me and that his love is relentless. But when you are looking at a death sentence, but at the same time, we all are, aren't we? But when you're looking at something like that, your moments matter. And you have to decide, is he a God that I am still going to trust and going to call faithful and good even in this moment? And know that there's something that he has allowed this to happen to make my work through me even more powerful, even a bigger testament, and go forward even in my weakness? Oh, that's right, because God is powerful. God wants to use my weakness. Because I'll tell you one thing I have learned. I was doing an awful lot in Joan's strength. I was doing a lot, of, a lot of ministry through my excitement out of my own strength. And I think he was trying to sit me down and say, I want to do it through my strength, Joan. I want them to see that a weak person can do this. That a weak person can be effective for me. So that was another great gift. And so uh, I have continued to teach release time and I wanted to share what that was. And that's why I wanted to um, talk with you tonight also. Um, because each day is a precious gift. The one thing I have learned is that we don't know when the end times are. We are in the end times. We're a day closer to Jesus coming than we were yesterday. But I know I'm in my end times. We are each in our own end times. And we need to make these moments count. We need to uh, put glasses on that see each moment of every day as the precious, precious thing it is. And not get caught up in maybe some things that just really don't matter for eternity. And so, I don't know how many hands here, and it's sort of hard to see, knows what release time is, went to release time, had children or grandchildren in release time. I see hands back there and hands up here. And, um, and what that is, for those of you that didn't raise your hands, Release Time Christian Education is a nonprofit organization that teaches Bible classes to fourth and fifth grade students in the public schools. And you say, say what? We've been doing it since 1953. And you say, what? And I know most of our minds go to, that's amazing. That's amazing that they can still, they can still do that. And it's like, I have to tell you, my, our greatest, the greatest reason that we are not going to be doing it is not because the schools will close those doors on us, because it's state law to allow it. The greatest risk of us stopping to teach is to not have teachers, to not have someone in those chapels that will just say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves you. 
and let's see what he has to show us today. And so that's why we're going to some of our key um, church providers, and especially this one. You guys are anchored in the truth. You know the truth. You have been built up in the word. And to basically put the plea out that says, please, we have three schools that need teachers this year. And, um, and I think you have an insert in your bulletin that has a little bit of the parameters about teaching. It is during the school year, so uh, we let them get settled in. We start at the end of September. We finish up in April before they go through their testing. It is for 40 minutes during the school year, once a week. You would have a particular, uh, particular school that you would be responsible for. It'd be great if you had a helper. I'll tell you, I needed help. We, we had three people helping me to get one school done one time. And one of them is little Isabel Utzler who comes to the first service here, 87 years old. So don't tell me you can't do it. <laughs> we have a chapel out there if you think, I don't know about going up those steps. See if you can get in there. We have the curriculum available in case you want to see, I don't know what they're teaching. Well, we'll show you the curriculum. We go Old Testament one year, New Testament the next. So it just walks through the key principles, all showing them how much God loves them and that he made a way for them to be with him for all eternity. And so that is our key thing, is to get that word into, they get a Bible, and you just get them to understand how to look it up in there and, and all of that. So anyway, so we just wanted to make sure that was available. Just check it out if you just never always wonder, what are those trailers? Well, they're little chapels. They're little, they're little churches. And I wanted to show you the children that were impacted. Our director is here, and it's Chantel Tibbetts, and I help her out. So Chantel, come up here, because I wanted to show you, we had 209 students affected last year by the program. They were enrolled and touched by it. And um, which is like, oh, that's nice, 209. I just want to show you what that meant. And then you can take. These were our 209 students. And without, oop, there's my mic. And without teachers, we would have to shut down some of these. But not only are these, each square is a child that has been impacted with the word of God, but each child represents a family that had that also walking into them each week and exploring the things that they had learned. And I just want to share that. One of these squares, I just want to give one quick little shout out to little Kimberly. She was at Taft Elementary. And these kids are up against a lot. They're up against a lot. Some of them, I mean, I had kids out of my Sunday school class, so it'd be sort of cool. I'd see them on Sunday, then I'd see them on Wednesday, and then I'd see them on Sunday and Wednesday. We had a grand time. But some of these kids come from very difficult situations. And we had one little girl, Kimberly, very sullen girl, did not want to have really anything to do with us. She would hide but when we were gathering them to try to go to the chapel. And, um, and so it was always a challenge, but there was something in her that also said, you can carry that down if you'd like, that also said, I so want to be here. I so want to know that someone loves me. And so we, we went through and we did the hard work of trying to encourage her to come. Well, the day that we walked them through and we were to the point of talking about salvation and repentance and what that means, those are hard concepts, not for kids. They know they're sinners. <laughs> they know they're sinners. But what that means and that God wants them part of their, his family. And, and so we said, if anyone that wants to acknowledge that before God, wants to be part of God's family, wants Jesus to be their savior, wants Jesus to be the Lord of their life, wants to live their life for Jesus, come on forward. And you know, some were, you know, these are fourth and fifth graders, so we let God's spirit determine who's ready at that moment, but we always pray, please harvest today. And sure enough, Kimberly gets up and moves forward. I'll tell you, there was no one more surprised than myself and Judy, who was my assistant there at that chapel. And I said, the angels are just celebrating. And the amazing thing is, after we got done with that, and she went back, and they went off, and you know, part of us are like, okay, Kimberly did it, yay. What is that gonna do to her life, though? Are we gonna get to see any of that change? 
that we always hear about. Are we going to get to see that? Because she's going right back to whatever it is she's going back to. I'll tell you that next, very next week, she wasn't in the back of the line going to lunch. She was leading the line. She came with a smile on her face, and she came willingly to the chapel to hear more about this new family she's part of. And it was just, that's just one example. Some of the, we don't see the fruit. Teacher might never see the fruit. We have one teacher that is a part of that fruit. Because when she was a student many, many years ago, she was one of the most disruptive students in the chapel. That was her whole goal, was to disrupt. And she said, I have to tell you, teachers, at the same time, there was part of me as I was doing it saying, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? They're showing you love. She was having a battle with God. And it was just a beautiful thing to finally see that piece of fruit. Now in the chapel teaching, she has great compassion for every child there. But anyway, I just wanted to encourage you with that, let you know about that. We are willing to talk to anyone that might have God impressing upon them that yes, I don't, don't want just to have God do something in me. It's time to do something through me as well because he will equip you. We give you materials. It's all him. It is all him. Because believe me, if he can use me, he can use anybody. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. I want to thank Dave for allowing me to be up here and to be part of this beautiful family tonight. And um, anyway, so. Well, we want to thank you, and I want to pray for you. But I just want to make sure this is clear. So you don't have to be a theologian to. You do not have to be a theologian. This is the criteria of teaching. You need to love Jesus. He needs to be your Lord and Savior, and you need to be a Christ follower. Okay. Um, we have all the other information for you, and, and then you let God do his work. By the way, I was one of those disruptive kids at the least time. <laughs> I don't doubt so, that. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let me pray for you. Thank you. Lord God, we thank you so much for Joan, and uh, Lord Jesus, we ask for your healing upon her, Lord. We continue to come before your throne, petitioning you, God, Amen. heal. Lord, we want your will to be done in her life, and God, you are doing it, and we thank you for that. We thank you for her faithful witness, Lord. And Father, we do pray that you would give her strength. Lord, empower her with your Holy Spirit. She has this treasure in her earthen vessel, Lord, and we just pray that you would extend her years for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. See you later, Bob. <laughs> oh, don't be sorry. Okay. We are starting the book of Revelation, and um, before we get into it, we'll be in chapter one. You know, with, uh, with the book of Revelation, um, whenever you talk about it, you get mixed Mixed input. You get oohs and ahs. You get, um, oh, I'm not sure if you want to do that. Um, it, it's just kind of interesting people's reaction to it. Ooh, the book of Revelation. That's kind of scary. It's trippy. Ooh, the book of Revelation. You know, probably different images come to mind when you think about the book of Revelation. Like maybe this is an image that comes to mind. It's uh, the earth burning up, right? The end, so to speak. And uh, that might be a, uh, an image, or, or maybe this is an image that comes to mind. <laughs> Left behind, Nicolas Cage. You know what's funny is I'm pretty sure he's done that face in every single movie. Like, yeah. So, in fact, I think John Travolta did that face in Face Off. So, anyway. Uh, but, but maybe you think of Left Behind, and, uh, or, or maybe you think of this. The Twilight Zone, right? Ron St Rod Sterling, you know, you're now entering the Twilight Zone. You're like, ooh, this is really mysterious and spooky. And, and I, I, I hope that uh, we can help you understand this as we study through it. I hope that uh, as we go through the book of Revelation together, you will see that probably the number one key to understanding the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus from the beginning to finish. And you guys may get tired of me hearing, uh, hearing me say that because it seems like every sermon I say the same thing. It's all about Jesus. Well, guess what? It is. It's all about Jesus. And uh, the book of Revelation will continue with that. So let's go ahead and pray and then we will get into it. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask for your blessing. God, you've already told us you will bless us as we study this book. So we just ask for that now, Lord. Um, help give us understanding, Holy Spirit. Help us to apply it. And God, help us to keep it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation chapter one, verses one through eight, we're gonna read. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will well on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Praise God for his word. You know, when we talk about the book of Revelation, again, it's something that uh, it, it's, it's curi- it, it sparks our curiosity. And, and a part of that is I think there are 50 unique interpretations to how this book is to be read and interpreted. And I, I pretty much disagree with all but one. And uh, what I mean by that is there's some that say the book of Revelation has already happened. That uh, this all happened in the period of, of 70 AD in the early church, that first century church, and it's already been finished. We're just waiting on Jesus coming. There, there's different views on this, and, and I believe that this book is, is things yet to come. There's things that are, things that, that, that were happening right then, things that will be, um, and, and we'll, we'll see God's prophetic program coming to end as we travel through the book of Revelation together studying it. Uh, Wearsby says this concerning the book of Revelation. He, he says that a, a, a knowledge of the Old Testament is essential to understanding this book because out of the 404 verses of Revelation, 278 contain references to the Old Testament. That's a lot of references to the Old Testament. Not only does it have all these references to the Old Testament, that if you're not well-versed in the Old Testament, you may feel this book might be unattainable, but there's all sorts of symbols and numbers and images. Uh, there, we see uh, different animals and uh, there's uh, trees mentioned and all sorts of different things. The number seven occurs over and over and over again. I think it's uh, 54 times the number seven is mentioned in this book, that number being the number of completion. And so we'll be talking about that as we go through the book of Revelation. Next week, I'll have a little handout in the order of worship that'll be uh, the little a key card to some of the things in the book of Revelation that'll help you understand like, oh, this is speaking about that and it'll give you references to things in the Old Testament. But this book, is, it's exciting, it's inspiring, it's got a mystery factor to it. And what I mean by that is, whenever there's something that's mysterious, we, we love it. We want to know more about it. It, it sparks our curiosity. And there's no, no question about revelation, it does do that. The word revelation comes from the, word, the Greek word apocalypses. And, and all that means is revealing, um, and to, to be made known, to, to make something known to you. It's a revealing. And uh, we see the word used in the Gospel of John when, when it says Jesus came to reveal the Father. There's that word there, apocalypses. Now, when we hear the word apocalypse, where we get, we get from this Greek word, we tend to think everything's falling apart. Everything's, <laughs> the world has come to an end. Uh, or there's a zombie outbreak. That's the apocalypse, right? But actually what it means is to reveal. 
And that's what this whole book is about, is it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not revelations. This isn't a book where it's just like making all these different prophecies one after the other. It's one revelation. It's one revelation that the Father gave to Jesus Christ. Look at that in verse, verse um, 1 and 2. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So this is a revelation given by the Father to the Son, to an angel, to John on the island of Patmos. Now John is on the island of Patmos, and we'll read more about this next week. But just so you understand the, the context and the setting, this book was written probably sometime around 95 A.D., the emperor Domitian was uh, assassinated uh, in 96 AD, and he, was the, he would have been the one to exile John to this island in Patmos. And the island of Patmos is just this little island off the coast of Turkey. And um, today, this is how, what it looks like. And if you go to the next slide over, um, there's a, a cruise ship in the middle of the harbor there. And I mean, it looks like a wonderful little Mediterranean place. I'd like to go visit there. Maybe some of you have been there already. But it looks like a nice place to visit. Of course, wasn't so in John's day. In, in John's day, there was a, a, a prison colony where people who got exiled got sent to, political prisoners and, and the such. And so John was exiled, and that was something, Domitian, it was very common for the emperor Domitian to do this, to exile Christians away. He was a troublemaker. So John got sent onto this island. When you think about it, starting in, with Nero's reign after Titus Vespasia, Titus Vespasia reigned until uh, right about 60, um, I think it was, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. He reigned, I'm sorry, before uh, Titus Vespasia, Nero reigned as emperor in, in um, Rome. And Nero started the persecution of the Christian church, officially from the Roman Empire. Now there was no laws passed about Nero, but Nero was a terrible, evil emperor. He was also crazy. And Nero uh, decided that he wanted some land in Rome, and he was hoping to make some buildings there. But the problem was the land was owned by private owners, and people weren't willing to sell the land. So Nero started a fire, and he burnt down. Of course, he's famous for the burning of Rome. But then what he did was he said, I wonder who did this. It's probably that Christian cult out there. And so he started, he started persecuting the Christians, and the persecution was awful. He would use, um, we, we have records of him lighting his garden with the burning Christians. That's how he would, he would light his gardens up at night, with Christians on fire. And so Nero started this terrible persecution of, of uh, the Christians, and then it just continued with Titus Vespasian, with... Um, Trajan, and then finally with Domitian, and it continues on in, in, in Roman history with the emperors. Domitian, however, he was known for exiling people. That's what he loved to do. And so he sent Paul, John to this island in Patmos. Now, just so you know, Peter and Paul both died under Nero's reign. They, they were part of those who were persecuted under Nero. But look at it from the perspective of the church. Man, we are that we are ushering in the kingdom of God. We are bringing about the kingdom of God. The gospel is going forth. People are being set free from sin. But now, everywhere we go, it's dangerous. Later on, after Domitian, Trajan, actually, or um, uh, I can't remember that emperor's name, but he actually issued orders that, well, don't go hunting down Christians, but if you find them, if they don't, if they don't give up their faith, then kill them. That was his rule. So to the Christian this looked like defeat and loss. This letter could not be more timely to the Christian saying, God is absolutely in control and knows what's going on. And we're going to see that all through this book. First thing I want you to know that this book is a blessing waiting for you. It's got a blessing waiting for you. It's the only pr prophetic book that promises a blessing is waiting for you. The only one in the, in the Bible. Look at verses 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, I, I don't want you to think that uh, you've got to go around reading aloud the, the prophecy to get the blessing. What, what, what John is saying, and, and again, this goes with what was going on in the church at the time, 
they, they didn't have, everybody didn't have a Bible. Everybody didn't have a copy of the letter. So it would go to the church and it was read aloud. And John was basically saying, hey, if you read this to the congregation, to the church, if you read this before the assembly, blessed are you for being faithful. And blessed is everyone who's hearing the words of this book read and who keeps them. Now the blessing isn't just fulfilled by hearing. The blessing is actually fulfilled in the keeping of the words. In fact, um, we see this in Revelation 22, 7. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Here in Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Our, the blessing of God always comes with our obedience. We cannot expect that, okay, well, I, I'm just going to read this so I can get more wealth and power and, and I want to just be blessed, so I'm just going to read it and forget it. No, the blessing comes with our obedience. We deceive ourselves if we think that we are in Christ and we should be blessed by Christ, yet are disobedient in our walks with Christ. We're just going about our, our everyday, well, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, I know God says to do this, but I'm going to do this. No, the blessing comes in keeping the words of God. By the way, this book, there's seven blessings in this book, seven beatitudes, if you will. And you'll find them in Revelation 1-3, which we've already looked at, 14-13, 16-15, 19-9, 20-verse-6, 22-verse-7, and 22-verse-14. With the exception of the actual beatitudes in Matthew 5, this is the book with the most blessings in it. Saying, blessed are you when you do this. Blessed are you when you keep the words and this prophecy. So it's, it's a book that we shouldn't be afraid of. We shouldn't be intimidated by. It's a book that promises blessing. Now there is a fear that comes with it. Don't get me wrong. If you're not in Christ, you should have a fear about this book. Because the fear is saying that, hey, God will wage war with his enemies and his wrath is coming. But you, believer, you dear one in Christ, you beloved of the Lord, do not fear. Do not fear. God is going to take care of this whole plan. He will conquer his enemies and he will establish his reign. So there is a fear. And I want to tell you that the future... We can either meet the future with anxiety and strife and fear, or we can meet it with faith. And this is, I think, a challenge that, that you'll get right from the, the beginning of this book, is are you striving in your own strength? Are you working out your future with fear and strife and anxiety? What does tomorrow hold? How will I accomplish this? How will I do this? Or are you moving forward in faith? Lord, teach me, show me, know me. Lord, I want to honor you. Lord, you know my tomorrow. You know my enemies. Lord, you know the things I'm dealing with. God, you deal with them. I'm following you. We don't wage war with the weapons of the world. We wage war uh, with spiritual weapons. Very different, the Bible teaches us. So the question is, how will you meet your future? In anxiety or in strife or with faith? Look at Revelation 1.8 here. God says, the Father, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, if you're seeing this room and you've never seen Greek letters or Greek alphabet, Alpha would be our letter equivalent to our letter A, and Omega would be equivalent to our letter Z. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am everything. That's what God is saying. I am, no, no, I don't mean to do a pantheism sort of thing that I'm everything in the world. What I'm saying is, in me <laughs> is all the power. In me, I see all the truth. I'm omniscient. I am the Almighty One, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the self existent one. Do you realize that God depends upon no one? Have you ever thought about that? What do you depend upon for your life? We, 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 I mean, of course we depend upon those essential things, air to breathe, right? That's a good thing to have air. Food to eat, because if we don't have any food, eventually we'll die. Water to drink. If we don't have any water, eventually we're, we're gonna die. Three days, I, I think they say. You can go without water before you start, your body shuts down on you. What about your job? How many of us depend upon a job for our livelihood? Are living. 
We depend upon so many things for our existence and our living. Of course, those root things all come from God. And of course, the atheist says there is no God. Yet, with the very breath he's proclaiming there is no God, God is sustaining him and allowing him to exist. Jesus, or in, in God alone, we find that he is the self-existent one, the one who depends upon no one, who is and who was and who is to come. He is eternal. That is the God we should be depending upon for our future. Not ourselves, not our spouses, not our friends, not our boyfriends or girlfriends. We should be depending upon God the one who depends upon no one. And the amazing part about it is, if we put our trust in him, he will not lead us astray. The uncertainty of the, our future can plague us with worry and fear. But listen, this wonderful book of Revelation is a letter that is about grace and peace to you, not fear and wrath. That's the amazing part about it. If you are in this room today and you are not a child of God, I want you to realize that it's an act of God's grace, his mercy, that you get to hear this message today, tonight. Because it is an absolute act of his mercy that you get to hear that this letter doesn't have to be about wrath. It doesn't have to be about God's anger. You don't have to be about afraid of it. Look at verse 4. As John writes to the seven churches that are in Asia, and we'll talk more about the number seven next week. We're going to get into it much more. But look at this. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on, the, of, on earth. So here we have the, tri, the Trinity, the Godhead. We have the Father, the one who is and who was and who is to come. We have the seven spirits before the throne. And if you, if you want to check that out, you can just mark in your Bible Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And that's where you'll see it's the Holy Spirit. And then we have Jesus Christ there. And look at it. It says, grace to you and peace from, the, from God. Grace to you and peace from God. The whole, the whole Trinity. Grace and peace to you. What is the grace? Well, listen. Grace comes by Jesus Christ. It's, grace is God's attitude towards us coupled with his gifts. That's, that's his attitude towards you. And his gift giving to you. Think about that for a minute. It was purchased for you on that cross by Jesus Christ, and you can never lose it. It's, it's been purchased for you. He paid the price for you. And if you accept it, his grace is given to you. His attitude has changed. In this book, we're going to see an attitude of wrath and judgment against an unbelieving world, but not towards the believer, not towards the church. You weren't destined for wrath. And we'll be talking about that, how we don't see the, the church past chapter 3 or 4. We just don't see them anymore in this book. But those who are in Christ, you've received grace. His attitude has changed. I love the fact that, that I haven't done anything worthwhile to please God. I mean, you may say, well, Dave, you get up there and you preach. Or Dave, you go help people out. And Dave, you do counseling. Listen, that isn't anything. I still haven't solved the problem of sin. I still haven't solved the problem of, of evil thoughts or rebellious ways. I still haven't solved those problems in my life. And I've still got a whole history of sin behind me. But Jesus solved it. Jesus paid the price for me on that cross. And it is through Jesus Christ that God's attitude has completely changed. When I came into Christ, when I received him as my Savior, God no longer saw me as an enemy, but as a child. His attitude has completely changed. And then on top of that, he's gifted me. He's given me his Holy Spirit. The Bible says that those of us who are in Christ are sealed by his Holy Spirit. We've been given this wonderful gift, these major blessings, and of course, with that, we also have an inheritance coming. We're going to see in the book of Revelation that there is a, there's a, well, there's two main, main resurrections in the book of Revelation. There's a resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. Those who God's attitude has changed towards, those who are experiencing the grace of God, those are the ones who receive the resurrection to life, the new body. Here in Revelation, Jesus is called the firstborn from the dead. He's the first one to receive that resurrection body. And we too, like him, will receive a body that is incorruptible, 
Joan spoke today, this evening, about the cancer that is eating at her body. But she knows that one day, whether she's healed here in the flesh or in the future, she'll receive a new incorruptible body. And so will you in Christ. That's part of the grace of God, the gift of God, the blessing of God. This is something that doesn't take away. It's made, it's, it was met perfectly by Jesus Christ when he met the requirements of the law. The law. Revelation says, uh, 1, 5 through 6 said, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest. That's part of God's grace towards you. Now, the other aspect of this is peace, God's peace towards you. Peace refers to two different aspects. Peace is made with God through salvation in Jesus Christ. You, you cease being an enemy of God and now you've been given peace with God. And the amazing part about it is now you're also ambassadors of the same peace program. What? God takes his enemies and he makes them ambassadors in his program? It's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. That's based on the work of Jesus. But then there's another peace and that's peace in our daily relationship. This we can lose. Be warned about this. This we can enjoy or fail based on our obedience. This is where the blessing comes from. So grace we cannot lose. It's done by Jesus Christ, secured by him. The peace with God through salvation, again, work made through Jesus Christ, the work that he did. When he said it is finished, it is finished. He finished that work. You've trusted in him, that work is finished. But then there's a daily living peace. That's the one that so many believers fail to experience because they're carnal or they're caught up in some sort of sin. They continue going back to their sin and they miss out on the wonderful peace with God in everyday life, everyday living. Listen, if you're, if you're that carnal believer, if you're someone who continues on in your sin, excusing away your sin, actively involved in it, let me encourage you, repent. If you want to experience God's peace, if you want to ex experience God's victory in your life, repent of that. You need to repent of that. You need to turn from that tonight and say, Lord, I recognize what I did was wrong. I recognize my lustful thoughts are wrong. I, re I recognize my lying is wrong. I recognize my, my anger is wrong, God, and it wasn't acceptable. I can't excuse it. I can't say, well, you shouldn't have made me that way when I lost my temper and flew off the handle. No, I recognize that was wrong. I recognize that, that me living in a sexual relationship outside of marriage is wrong, and I need to repent of that. Do so. And I guarantee you'll experience the peace of God. That peace in your daily walk, in your daily relationship. The psalmist says, better is one day in your household than a thousand elsewhere. And I'll tell you right now, if you experience that peace with God, you'll say the very same thing. I'd rather be at peace with God and walking in him than having a thousand days in sin. Having, and by the way, that, that, that verse here, that Jesus freed us is an amazing verse. It, it, the word is luo in the Greek. And literally it means to, 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 to let loose or set free. The, the bondage of sin is what Christ has freed us from. The chains that are wrapped around us. The, the sin that entangles us and holds us back. The sin that makes us so rebellious against God. Jesus has let loosed. He's set us free from that. He's broken those chains, never to be shackled again, dear, one, dear Christian. This book is all about Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this. He said, my spirit cannot accommodate itself to this book, speaking of Revelation. For me, this is reason enough not to think highly of it. Christ is neither taught nor known in it. Martin Luther was in great error when he said that. There were a few books, by the way, Martin Luther was a wonderful reformer, we're thankful for him, but definitely he got some things wrong. And one of them was his view on the book of Revelation. He felt Christ was nowhere to be found in this book or the spirit of Christ. And let me just tell you, he was so wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. This book is all about Jesus Christ. The objective in this book is to reveal Jesus Christ is the glorified, glorified one. Now contrast that to how we saw Jesus in the Gospels. Since John is the author, let's look at from John's perspective. Who was Jesus in the Gospels? 
He was the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, the one who, who was uh, purest, the, the, the one who went, underwent such humiliation and suffering for us. That was the Messiah we saw in the Gospel of John. But in the book of Revelation, in this revealing, we see a very different Jesus Christ. We see a conqueror, a glorified one. We see him in verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. Very different Jesus when he returns. Very different Jesus. A conquering Jesus. There's a fulfillment here. Let's turn to Zechariah. Oh, I have it up here. Zechariah 12.10. And it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Zechariah prophesies this regarding Christ's second coming, that eventually Israel will turn back. They'll look on him, him who they have pierced and grieve. They'll turn to him. More than that, we're going to see every tribe of the earth wail on account of him. By the way, this wailing, it's not like a, oh, thank you, praise God, oh, tears of joy. No, this is a, this is a wailing. Because this isn't a wailing that brings you to repentance. This is a wailing in utter fear of Christ's coming, fear of, of judgment, fear of death. They will look on him. He'll be a much different savior when he returns. He'll be a conquering savior. But going back to my point that this book is all about Jesus Christ, let's just look in chapter one here, how many things are about Christ. Um, just in these first eight verses, okay? Just eight verses. Look at this. In verse one, he's the source of revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's the channel of the word and the testimony of God. Look at verse two. Which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. So the revelation wouldn't even be given to us without Jesus Christ. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the earth's kings. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Now, this is interesting. Faithful witness. I, um, last year, I got hooked on this podcast, and maybe some of you have heard it. It's called Serial. And... Um, I don't recommend it. There's some foul language and stuff in it. But um, what it was was uh, a real uh, person who was uh, convicted for life for murdering their girlfriend in high school. And this reporter, this investigative reporter, had um, she had, I think, 12 episodes where she was talking to witnesses, uh, going through the whole case because the question had been made that maybe this, the, the, the testimony of the witness was not reliable. And, and as, as I listened to this story unfold and, and heard the, the, the testimony of the witnesses and the testimony of the person who was tried, uh, you go back and forth about whether this guy had really murdered his girlfriend or not. And the problem was the main witness was unreliable. But yet the police had felt and the judge and the jury had decided that his testimony was reliable enough. I love the fact with Jesus Christ, I don't have to question whether he's reliable. He is the reliable one. Every other um, testimony on earth, every other testimony from another religion, I've got a question is, is this truth? I'm not really sure. It doesn't sound right. But if I know Jesus Christ, the one who is true, it's easy to spot the lie. It's easy to know uh, that Jesus' testimony is true and worthwhile. So he's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead, and he's the ruler of, of the earth's kings. And, and that we'll see at the end of uh, Revelation when he returns. We'll see him establish his millennial reign. And then in verses 5 and 6, he's the God of grace who loves us. Look at 5 and 6 there. Um, 
<clears throat> and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves, that word loves is, um, the, the tense in the Greek is, who is loving us. It's not lo- loved or loved us or, or when I, it's the one who is loving us. Jesus is still loving us. He's loving those in him. That's the one. He, he's cleansed us from our sins. He's made us a kingdom and a priesthood. And then in verse seven, he's the coming king who returns and it will be powerful and glorious. Man, behold, he is coming with the clouds. John goes into this doxology. It's so awesome. He, as he says, behold, he is coming with the clouds. And by the way, a doxology is a, a fancy word for uh, a, a worship phrase. And a, a, a praise. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him, even so. Amen. Amen. So let it be. That's what the word means. Amen just means let it be truly. Uh, so let it be. Amen. That is our Jesus Christ. And you should, <clears throat> there is an urgency here in the book of Revelation. Don't get me wrong. There's an imminency when we read future prophecy. And what I mean by that is that this imminency is that we know that this is coming. It's coming. And it could be very soon. And of course for the church, our exit could be any time. There's nothing leading up to it. We, Christ could come at any moment for his church. And then of course, kicking off the tribulation period and all these things, there's this urgency, this imminency that comes with it that Christ is coming, and by the way, believer, this is the way you should be living your life. You should be living in expectation of his coming. And that, that's one thing I love about studying prophecy it, is it keeps our mind on Christ. It keeps our, our thinking clear. Why am I here in the first place? It's not just to pay the bills. It's to worship God, to make him known, to be an ambassador here on this earth. And that's one of the wonderful blessings also about studying the word of God is our lamps are lit and we are waiting for the bridegroom. We're keeping ready. There's an urgency there, an expectancy. But even for those who don't know Christ, there's that same urgency. And and I absolutely believe as we read through this book, you'll see the urgency is petitioning one to turn to Christ, to receive forgiveness of of sin, Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who perished him, and all tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Let me ask you, when you meet Christ, will you meet him as liberator or conqueror? That's an important question to ask yourself. The the liberator sets free those in bondage. They're part of his kingdom. The conqueror punishes those who, they're, they're his enemies. Do you meet, will you meet Christ as a liberator or a conqueror? That's the question you have to ask yourself. I want to encourage you, and I can't petition you enough tonight to meet Christ as your liberator. Do it tonight. Don't wait. Don't put it off. And if you've been tangled in sin, let Christ liberate you tonight from that sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this book, this wonderful book of your living word. God, as you reveal yourself to us through this book, as you reveal what is to come, these future events, God, let us be mindful of you. Father, I pray that you'd make us faithful. Let us be good servants waiting upon your return. Lord, I want to hear more than anything, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, for anyone in this room tonight that needs to repent of sin or turn to you, that wants to be liberated, I just want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, liberate me. Set me free. I repent of my sin. I turn to you. I don't want to suffer wrath. I want to know you. I want to experience your grace and your peace in my life. We just thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.